the setting of the sun awakens our bodies. Your lips on my neck drain me of my conscience. I am yours forever. Our music begins to play and it pulls me closer to you. I feel your desire, your need to have me. Your mesmerizing eyes calms my fears. All I see is you, all I feel is you. You have me. The dawn is breaking, I feel your spell weakening. I am flooded with thoughts. Do I mesmerize you? Do my lips dream you? Are you mine? I feel your body drifting away. Your gaze has left me. I try to pull you back in, but I am weak. It's the same time every morning, yet the tears still drain from my eyes and I lose focus. I lose you. I want to wait for you, but the light is burning and I know you're gone. Lying in the darkness, I wait and rest away from the sun, away from the moon, excited yet afraid for the moon's light to wake me and see you standing there mesmerizing me, draining me of conscience and fear, afraid that I will once again let you slip away through the light. But the moon is lonely without you, so I will wait, for I am yours, I will always be yours, and you will be mine. I'm Leslie. I'm Holly. And we would be dead. Hey, Holly. Hey, Beans. You guys, Leslie wrote tonight's episode. I did. Yay. That was a good, sexy, scary opening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote that in college. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a published poet. Wow. <laughs> Where can we find this published poem? I think it's just something on my school's mm. school poetry book. Well, you guys, um, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> So, it was a very twilighty year for me. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> it does have distinct Twilight vibes in it. I had read a lot of Anne Rice, and then the Twilight movies were out, and so you're really feeling the vampire. I was really feeling it. I mean, like a lot of <laughs> teens in early twenties were really feeling it then. Yeah, you were not alone. We were so sneaky about this one too. We were like, "Ha ha! Surprise, Leslie!" <laughs> 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 Leslie was kind enough to like let me my brain take a little break before we throw ourselves headlong into two weeks of Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah, which we start uh next week for our one year anniversary. Oh my gosh, it's already yeah. one year. Wow. February eleventh. It'll be a whole year of quality content from us. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's so that's fifty episodes and then countless campfire stories. Yeah, well, aren't we? Oh, because we've had a couple doubles, we missed, but we missed two episodes because we took off right by Halloween and right by Christmas. But that's it. Okay. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, we killed it. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> you too. Oh, thank you. Um, and woo, Leslie picked a real crazy one this week. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to be on the talkie talkie end of this because <laughs> I have a lot of comments. <laughs> I think I think it worked out for the best because I'll just keep the story down and you will have so much to say. I have so much to say about this one. 
I hope you're all ready for high school drama, vampires, and the douchiest villain in recent history, and some murder, because it's all coming at you this week. And speaking of vampirism, Leslie. Yes, Holly. How's that chalice of baby's blood you keep on your nightstand doing? Honestly, after this week, I've kind of dumped it in the sink. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Has it left you feeling sluggish and really lacking that otherworldly sparkle? Yeah, for sure. Knew it. Well, I don't recommend actually drinking a whole glass of blood because I don't think it went well for today's subject. But you know what doesn't hurt anyone and could really put some pep in your step? What's that? A tall glass of validation. Oh my gosh, that is the best drink. Wouldn't it be delicious right now? Oh, so delicious with some like Oreos to dip in. Oh, I love oh, Oreos. Love now it. I want them. And our fiends can help with that. That's right. If you want to see us really shine and get some spring back in our step and maybe some Oreos later because now I want them. Mm-hmm. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really does make all the difference. And if you want to go a step further, maybe help pay for a new blood chalice. Ooh. Yeah, you never know. You can support We Would Be Dead on Patreon. For just a few dollars a month, you'll get access to our live monthly campfire event. Oh my God, last week's was so fun. (laughs) That was really fun, yeah. We had such a good time with that one. I want to do more reaction videos now. (laughs) I don't, but... It was so funny, though. You guys, Leslie reacting to a haunted ventriloquist dummy. If you have not watched our YouTube campfire stories from this past week, please go do that. If for no other reason than the reaction (laughs) video in the end is priceless. (laughs) And we talk about Goosebumps stories, and we have, like, a lot of fun. So you'll get access to the live portion of that. You'll also get access to our additional monthly podcast, 30-Minute Horror Movies, discounts in our merch store, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. And if all of that is a little overwhelming, but you still want to support us, you can simply share anything we post on social media. Then your friends can become fiends, and we can all hang out together. And I think that's everything. Great. Leslie, it's your show this week. Do you have anything else to add? Still no. Not this week. No. I got nothing. Maybe next week. Yeah. I, I, I hang on to hope every week. One day. When it happens, it's going to be, like, big. Maybe. It's not lackluster. <laughs> I'm sure it won't be. All right, then. <laughs> on with the show. Rod Farrell, 16. Scott Anderson, 16. Charity Kesey, 16. And Dana Cooper, 19. Had decided to leave their lives behind in Murray, Kentucky, and start anew in New Orleans, Louisiana. They were vampires, and the town of Murray was becoming rather dull. Rod, who was the leader of their vampire clan, thought that it was time to move on to bigger and better things, and that meant joining the vampires of New Orleans. You see, back in Murray, there were plenty of so-called vampires running around. Rod had sired several of them, but for many, being a vampire was just a game. For others, it was a way of life, but they chose to use their vampirism for good. Rod saw these kids as posers, vampire wannabes. If they didn't want to give themselves over to the darkness and become immortal like he was, why were they wasting his time? So he looked to the most loyal of his clan to follow him to the new world. But before they made it to New Orleans, Rod told the group that they would be making a stop in Eustis, Florida to pick up his friend Heather Wendorf, who was also 15. It was a long drive to Eustis, Florida. They were driving Scott's Buick and had stuffed all their belongings into the car, most of them sitting with their bags on their laps. They were hungry, tired, and irritated, and for Rod, the acid he took in Kentucky was just starting to wear off. 
Once that. <laughs> hate when that happens. I, right? It's the worst. <laughs> oh, man, my Kentucky acid. Once they were in Florida, Rod called his friend Shannon to see if his clan could come back to rest and clean up. She said yes, her parents weren't home, and she was excited to see him. It had been a couple years since Rod moved from Eustis to Kentucky with his mom and grandparents, and it would be nice to catch up. When Shannon opened the door, she was shocked and confused to see the Rod standing in front of her. The last time she saw him, he was starting to dress a little bit gothy. He had dyed his strawberry blonde hair black. He wore black nail polish and black clothes, but it wasn't anything alarming. Now Rod had long black hair, long painted nails, and a black trench coat with, like, dark makeup and black boots. He was, like, going all for it. Oh, long black (laughs) nails. Long black nails. Yikes. The group all looked similar to Rod, and it definitely made Shannon, who was a bit on the preppy side, a little uncomfortable. Rod introduced everyone to Shannon and asked if they could clean up. Shannon thought about saying no until Charity mentioned that she wasn't feeling well from the ride, so she decided to let them in. She gave them some food, let them use the bathroom, and allowed Rod to use the phone to call Heather. Very nice of Shannon. Yeah, Shannon's nice, right? While Rod was on the phone, Shannon learned that Charity was Rod's wife and was carrying his child. Fact check. Charity and Rod were not married, but they (laughs) were dating. And as for the baby, Charity currently thought that she might be pregnant and kind of hoped she was... Which really annoyed Rod. (laughs) She just took artistic license and was like, yeah, we're married and I'm definitely pregnant. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Scott weirdly mentioned to Shannon that Rod had kidnapped him because he needed his car. But he was happy to be of service. (laughs) Well, he was just casually like, oh, by the way, you guys, Rod kidnapped me, but it's fine. He's in my car. Yeah. What are these people? And Dana, poor Dana, had a terrible family life and didn't get this job at a beauty salon in Murray, so she thought starting over someplace else sounded nice, a decision she will forever regret. I mean, they need a stylist for all the black hair dye, so. But (laughs) I'm sorry, because I feel really (laughs) bad for Dana in this one. Oh, no. She just was, she was just kind of dopey. Oh. Like, poor thing. And she, so when she said that, when I learned that she was, a hairstylist. I was like, oh. But I guess it was like a Kentucky hairstylist. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. You could take that skill set elsewhere. You can. You can do it, girl. Go do some hair. You're fine. She looks nicer now. Good. Shannon couldn't wait for these people to leave. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm with you, Shannon. I can't either. <laughs> Rod got off the phone and told the group that they were going to meet Heather at the cemetery nearby, and they were off, to which Shannon was thankful. When they arrived at the cemetery, Rod instructed that they all wait in the car, which really pissed off Charity. Charity knew Rod and Heather had been close when he moved to Eustis, but Rod was hers now and Heather better recognize. Ooh. Rod found Heather in the cemetery and the two went off into the distance. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Oh my God. Heather was happy to see Rod again. She had been waiting for this moment for a long time. Rod took out a razor blade, and Heather cut herself, letting blood drip from her body. Rod quickly put his mouth to her cut and drank from her. He then cut himself and allowed Heather to drink from him. She was officially a vampire and part of his family. It was everything Heather wanted. Do you see why I chose my stupid poem? Definitely. Definitely can see it. It's not stupid. It fits this perfectly. so many feelings. You had a lot of feelings. Listen, we all had feelings when we were that age. That's why I reread that poem, and I was like, I get it. I get these kids a little bit. You know, like, I was I'm one of you, you guys, except for I don't do any of this other stuff. I don't do any of this, but I understand, like, the mm. draw to the darkness yeah. and the feelings. Yeah. Rod told Heather they needed to move 
fast if they were to leave for New Orleans. Heather, being 15, started to have second thoughts about leaving her family, especially right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. But ultimately, she knew there would never be a good time to leave. Hmm. She would need to stop home first to actually pack her bags. I don't know why she didn't just pack it then. Because she's a 15-year-old girl. And she wanted to leave a goodbye note. Before they left the cemetery, Rod reminded her that she needed to be fast and he didn't want to waste any more time. He offered to tie her parents up so that they couldn't stop her. Heather said that wasn't necessary. She could just sneak past them. Why not just wait until they were either not home or asleep and then just leave? That was kind of the plan. So before this, there's a lot of happenings around this and they're high school students so plans just change constantly but she was supposed to be picked up at school prior to this like just leave from that another one of the friends was supposed to go which I don't think ended up making it with them but she was going to get picked up at midnight it was like they had all these things and all those this is like running away 101 why are you just leaving when your parents are home right but then Rod looked her straight in the eyes and said listen I can kill them for you. Actually, let me do his voice. Oh, oh no. (laughs) Listen, let me kill them for you so they never come after you. Ew, I hate him so much. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) I always try to be nice, but like, oh, man, I have a hard time with this guy. Rod Rod is rough. He is. He's really rough. The other ones I'm like sad for because I could see how they were drawn into this, but like, Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Okay. So mind you, we were going to do a cult episode this week, and we decided to do this one first, and I realized very quickly that this is a cult episode. (gasps) Double whammy. Yeah, so a lot of the things that Rod will be doing in this episode, obviously they're with younger kids, though, so they're very impressionable. Exactly. All that kind of stuff? It's very similar, and he's good at it. He's Mm. not an idiot. He is Which is worse. That's scarier. And partly, I feel like he doesn't even know how good he is. So as he got older, I think he could have been even worse. Oh, wow. So good thing he got caught is Mm -hmm. what we're saying. I always say that it's the smart ones are much scarier. I don't like Mm -hmm. ever calling criminals stupid Mm -mm. because clearly they have some kind of brain if they're planning and, and doing these things. Right. So Rod had just told Heather that he would kill his family, her family for her. What a guy. Heather began to feel a little uncomfortable and told Rod that he was not to kill her parents. She didn't want them harmed, and Rod said okay. Heather went back home to make a bag. Rod instructed the group that they would be picking Heather up down the street, but first that he and Scott would need to take care of her parents. So he just like— Oh, my fucking God! She said, don't kill him, and he's like, I won't kill him. We're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. Ew. The group was confused, but they did whatever Rod said. He was their master after all. So when Heather met them at their car, she wondered where Rod and Scott were. Dana and Charity said they were just off getting supplies and they would meet up with them soon. Heather hopped in the car and they were off. Rod and Scott were hiding in the bushes outside Heather's house, waiting for her and the girls to drive off. And once they did, Rod and Scott headed into the open garage of the Wendorf's house. They were clutching wooden clubs. The plan was to knock them unconscious and help give them a head start before they noticed Heather was missing. But before the night was over, this young group of vampires would be on the run for a double murder and possible kidnapping. Ugh. So let's rewind. Yes, please. Who was Rod Farrell, and how did he acquire a young group of dedicated followers? I very much want to know. Our story begins on March 28th, 1980. Not like in the 1400s, but in 1980. (laughs) As you might like us all to believe. (laughs) When Roderick Justin Farrell was born to two teenage parents, Sandra Gibson, age 17, 
and I have no idea what the father's name is. Father no name. All right. He was even in the he he even came to the trial at one point and I still can't find his they name. They don't mention his name? That's so weird. Holly, can you set the scene for us and tell us what teen life was like in the 1980s? I can. Um, so 1980 was a pretty fun time as far as trends go. Great. As Leslie mentioned, Rod's mother was just a teen herself when she had the future Prince of Dark Douchery, so she would have been immersed in the pop culture of the time, whether she liked it or not. Some of the Billboard top singles of the year were Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Oh, yes. The Anthem for All Pyramid-Shaped Plastic Hats, Whip It by Devo. Ooh. Michael Jackson's Rock With You, You May Be Right by Billy Joel, Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar, I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. My goodness, this was a great year. Right? And Call Me by Blondie. So music was good. Yeah. He was born into some good music. He did not use it well. Mm -mm. Fashion was pretty crazy. (laughs) Shoulder pads and bold colors reigned supreme, as did puffy sleeves and even puffier hair. The television show Dynasty was very popular, and it pushed the bouffant hair, frosty blue eyeshadow, and vibrant, vibrant lip color look that we all associate with the 1980s into the forefront of fashion. Yes. Ah, yes. <laughs> Everything is rectangular. <laughs> Power dressing was also an extremely popular trend in the 80s because, I'm, I don't know if any of you guys remember, but <laughs> being rich was like the thing in the yeah. 80s. Everybody wanted to have money and to show that they had money. Um, and that was put on the highest pedestal possible. So accessories were a must. Yep. Wear your gold chains, wear your big watch, rhinestones, little tiny pearls on everything, assorted doodads. As much as you could cram into your outfit, that was good. The more, the better. And that's why they had all those puffy outfits, so they could fit everything in it. <laughs> I got to keep all my accessories yeah. in my sleeves. <laughs> I love it. But I'm willing to bet that Rod's mom was on the other end of fashion. Yeah, she mm. wasn't great. No. <laughs> Um, and there, on the, like, complete other end of the spectrum, you would find those who, like, kind of crawled out of the ever-growing alternative and punk rock scene mm-hmm. that started emerging in the 70s, which somehow Madonna is put into. She's, she's strange. She's yeah. not. She really no. shouldn't be. I really think if you want to hold somebody up to that, it would be more Cindy Lauper. Yeah, agreed. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, these people wore fingerless gloves, studded vests tool skirts, safety pins, checkerboard pattern, and fantasy hair colors that began Ooh. to kind of peek its way from underground into mainstream fashion. Nice. Way more fun, in my opinion. Yeah. Right? So maybe Red's mom liked that stuff. Yeah. Well, she's just in, like, a black shift in every <laughs> picture I've seen of her. It's not good. It isn't good. Sandra. <laughs> oh, no. In the news, President Ronald Reagan was elected, Mount St. Helens erupted, the hostage crisis in Iran occurred, and John Lennon was murdered. Oh. Yeah. Movies that were that year were pretty great, too. And maybe I think this because I was born in 1981, so I would be raised on those VHS tapes, mm-hmm. but you can judge for yourself. Movies released that year that were big blockbusters were Stand By Me, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Blade Runner, The Breakfast Club, and the first Back to the Future. They all came out in 1980. Um, yeah, I think like three of those movies are in my top 10, so. Right? Great. <laughs> the music is good. Mm-hmm. The movies are good. Fashion is questionable. Yeah. Who doesn't want to live in 1980? We all know now what Rod's mom was surrounded by, but what about baby Rod? Oh, tell me. Oh, baby, baby. Well, I hate to say it, but he and I probably had the same media experience as children. (laughs) (laughs) Given the fact that we are not that far apart in age, kids would have been playing with He-Man and She-Ra dolls, Teddy Ruxpin, Care Bears hit the scene, as did one of the first home gaming systems, the Atari. Remember Mm, the Atari? I do. 
had an ET game, so it can go straight to hell. <laughs> I can't. But if you had an Atari, you were like on the cutting edge. Yeah. We did not have one. But Atari also led to a generation of Nintendo players and the first kids to eventually see the PlayStation. And you married one of those kids. Boy, did I. (laughs) (laughs) Rainbow Bright also took over TV screens and toy shelves, as did the inexplicable Popples. Popples, yeah. What were they? They Uh, was like, was there like a lab experiment gone wrong somewhere where they needed to be both a small marsupial and a soccer ball? (laughs) I don't know. What? Well, who needs that? I need that. I needed that so bad. I had so many of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I watched the show. Made no sense at all. But you know what? (laughs) It was was fine. As a little tyke, Rod probably would have watched Sesame Street, obviously. And The Elephant Show with Sharon, Lois, and Bram. Maybe a little Lamb Chops play along. All right. 321 Contact was popular as well. You can't do that on television. And man, Nickelodeon was really coming into its own. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff happened in 80s childhoods that would probably seem sketchy at best now. And here are a few things that I can personally attest to. Kids were allowed to just be like free range and roam the land. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Helmetless, we just roamed around (laughs) on our bikes in lawless herds. Um, Outdoor playgrounds were made entirely of scorching hot or freezing cold metal. Every kid I knew had a pocket knife. And it was (laughs) really easy to watch grown-up movies because adults paid so much less attention than they do now. Mm -hmm. We were just like, you do what you want to do. We are over here playing cards or something. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) this could be why those kids went on to be weird vampires. I mean, that didn't happen to me, but I'm still in the middle of a pretty significant dark phase, so I guess I can't really talk. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's a 1980 childhood for you. Right. Well, thank you, Holly. You're welcome. Sandro wasn't very popular in high school. No? That black shift didn't get her anywhere? It didn't. Okay. She was kind of a cute girl, but boys didn't notice her, and she didn't have a ton of girlfriends. Her parents, Harold and Rosetta Gibson, were very religious and wanted Sandra and her sister to be perfect little Christians. Mm. Sandra describes them as strict Pentecostal fundamentalists who were both mentally and emotionally abusive to her. She wasn't allowed to go to the movies, the beach, the dances, wear makeup, cut her hair short, or anything fun because church was her life. When she wasn't in school, they would be at church. Sandra, having none of this lifestyle, started to enjoy defying her parents at every turn. By 16, she quit school, met a boy, got pregnant, and at 17, she got married to the father, had Rod, and then a few months after the birth of Roderick, they got a divorce, and she and Rod wouldn't see him again. Oh, oh, her 17-year-old husband, and she got a divorce? They did. That never happens. You should always get married at 17. I know. And one of the documentaries I watched, I think it— I don't know if it was deadly cults or not, but a priest like popped in and was just like, I don't think that father ever saw the son. (laughs) (laughs) I like him. Yeah. (laughs) Sandra's father, Harold, accused her of being an unfit mother, and Sandra kind of agreed. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. (laughs) She was too young, couldn't keep a job, and really wasn't sure what to do with a baby. get this baby (laughs) whenever she was in a bind she looked to her parents for help and they were always there to pick up the pieces she had worked as a professional dancer sex worker and in fast food i love the professional i was gonna say by professional dancer i do mean that okay just curious she could have been a ballerina we don't know yeah that's why i put sex worker right after right right right. Mm -hmm. okay She collected welfare when she qualified and realized very fast that as long as her parents were in the picture she can kind of do whatever she wanted 
Nice. Her relationship with Rod was really never a normal mother-son relationship. <laughs> also unsurprising. Yeah. She decided she would be the opposite of her parents and thought just being his friend was the route to go. I'm a cool mom. Yeah. She made her parents do the disciplining, even though she would undermine them at every chance she got. So, like, they would discipline him and be like, you don't need to listen to them, Rod. Oh, my God, I don't, oh, huh. Anytime her parents would yell at Rod, she would tell them you didn't need to listen <gasps> and that they weren't his real parents. Good job, Sandra. And that, and they pay for everything, right? Yeah, like, she has no money. I'm allowed to not like these people, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have to check in. Because of Harold's job as a traveling salesman, he would move the family back and forth between Kentucky and Florida. And also Sandra would then like randomly meet guys that would take her back and forth. So sometimes it's confusing in the storyline as to if she went there with the grandparents or if she went there because of a guy. I've heard like a couple things. So when she went with guys, did she bring Rod with her? Yes. There was one time that I think when when they were living with the grandparents, Mm -hmm. she had like met a guy and then she, like, left with him, and the guy was like, you'll never see your mother again. And that was, like, it. But that uh, clearly never happened because oh. she's, like, obsessed with her little baby boy. Oh, yeah. But he's also, like, bouncing around to all these places. Yeah. Good for a kid. At two years old, while living in Florida, Rod suffered a case of encephalitis. Mm. According to CHOP-EDU, encephalitis is the inflammation of the membranes that surround the brain and the spinal cord. The inflammation causes the brain to swell, which leads to changes in the child's neurological condition, including mental confusion and seizures. The cause of encephalitis varies depending on the season, the area of the country, and the exposure of the child. Viruses are the leading cause of encephalitis, which... Usually, that's why a lot of kids don't get it now because of vaccines. Yeah, Um, because vaccines are great. mm -hmm. Depending on the severity of the case, the family and caretakers have noted personality changes in their loved ones. Not much else is noted about what treatment Rod had or how long it took for him to recover, how severe the case was, nothing like that. It's just that he had it. It's still significant, though. That's your Mm -hmm. brain. So it's hard to say if there was a correlation between this illness and what happens later. So it's just worth noting. Yeah, you can't say there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to our doctor, our resident doctor, Lisa. Ah, Dr. Lisa. Um, and she gave me a bunch of good information to kind of go through. And I might put that into a Patreon content for some extra information yes. about that disease and how it could have possibly affected Rod. You can throw some of it in show mm-hmm. notes too, But they just want. haven't been able to prove anything, so I didn't want to. No, that makes sense. Um, one of the side effects that they say is that it could cause early onset schizophrenia, though. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Kids with schizophrenia, man, they go hard, too. Yeah. It's not, like, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> when Rod was five, they moved back to Murray, Kentucky. He had an active imagination, which led Sandra to introduce him to the game Dungeons & Dragons. I knew there was going to be D&D in of here. Course, there's so much D&D. Oh, man, Gary. <laughs> Sandra herself played D&D with others, so she was excited to teach Rod to play, and she could play with him now, too. Mm-hmm. At least whenever she was home. At this point, Sandra was going out a lot, drinking, doing drugs, and meeting guys. This was also when she was doing a lot more of her, like, sex work. And she's, like, 22, right? Yeah. Okay. Rod was kind of left on his own and with his grandparents. He became friends with Scott Anderson and Matt Goodman. Scott Anderson was from the beginning of the story. Okay. Uh, So they're, like, five, six, seven at this time. They lived nearby. Rod told them about D&D, and they would play in the woods, coming up with epic fantasy worlds that they could escape in. Rod wasn't the only one with a rough home life. Scott, too, came from a rough home where his father was an alcoholic and drug addict, and Scott would need to grow up a lot faster, but we'll get back to Scott later. Okay. 
Around this time in Scott's life, he had another terrible experience. There are a few different versions of the story, but they all boil down to the same accusations. Rob not only claims he was sexually abused by his grandfather several times, he also tells a story about being part of a black mask ritual in his grandfather's friend's basement. He remembers there being blood and animal sacrifices, and then he was gang-raped by the members. Fun fact, that's not what happens during a black mask, but all right. Yeah. (laughs) He was just like, there were just all these people around wearing masks. Okay, Anton LaVey created the black mask, and we can talk about it in another episode. But that's not what happened. Weird, weird shit happens, but not Mm -hmm. that, so. Sandra did try to confront— So, Sandra comes home one night, and Rod, like, ends up telling her about, like, I was, like— Shit was happening was to me with the all of these. I was by a bunch of people in masks. Yeah. Grandpa's friends. It was madness. Sandra did try to confront the neighbor whose house Rod claims he was brought to, but no one believed him. As for the accusations of her father raping her son, not much happened there either, though Sandra and her sister testify that they were both sexually abused by their father. So they knew that would happen? Yeah. Oh, no. So they believed Ron, but as far as we know, Sandra did nothing to press charges against him for herself or her son, and they continued to live with Howell (gasps) and Rosetta. They didn't leave? No. The molestation seemed to stop as Rod got, like, a little bit older. He doesn't really talk about it anymore. He said just when he was, like, little, it happened. Because people like that like little kids. Despite Rod's accusations and his constant fighting with them, his grandparents will continue to have his back time and time again. Like, I gear that more on their, like, religion. Right. They're just—they don't want to look bad. They didn't do anything bad. So even if—I don't know if it happened— I'm not sure. Well, this whole family is kind of rough. Their but. continued financial support could also be why they chose to stay that's, and why you didn't write them off. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm thinking Sandra stayed because she had no other choice. Right. Um, and she was like, well, it happened to me. Maybe. I don't know. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, no. It's not. So Rod's story about the black mask ritual could be a number of things. Around this time, there were news reports circulating about a large number of children claiming that they had been sexually abused during satanic rituals. Ah, the McMartin preschool trial. Later, (laughs) we would learn many, not all, of these children were prompted to say things and endured no abuse. Yep. This time in the 80s was called the Satanic Panic, and I hope to cover them sometime in the future. Oh, we for sure will. Yeah. The McMartin preschool trial is one of the ones that I saw in 2020 as like a yeah. kid and started me into like, I need to find right. everything. So see, you saw it as a kid. Rod also could have saw it. And, Easily. And it was, it was on 2020. Mm-hmm. That was when I thought oral sex meant talking about it. Ooh. <laughs> I probably also did too. It's okay. <laughs> cool. It's also very normal for a child to make up an elaborate tale to make sense of what has happened to them in an abuse situation. Sure. They will flee to a fantasy world of monsters and attempt to distance the person that they were supposed to love and trust from the person who is abusing them. So he could have just been mixing stories together. He was doing D&D. He had a lot of this. It might have been on the news, a whole mix of things. Yeah, that story was big, so he, he could have easily seen it. Whether these accusations are true or not, Rod's household was full of drama and trauma. Ooh, drama trauma. Drama trauma. Rod continued to play D&D for the next several years, getting deeper and deeper into the fantasy worlds. In 1991, Vampire the Masquerade was released. This was a new role-playing game, similar gameplay to D&D, but was set in a goth punk world of vampire mythology. Sandra and her then-boyfriend had begun playing this game. She brought it home to Rod to teach him, and from there, he was completely obsessed. His life was now being filtered through this game. Okay. 
I looked up a short description of the game to give everyone a better idea of what it was, and I found this on Dicebreaker.com. Ooh. He sounded super nerdy, so I thought it was like a good one. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you know it's good. Yeah. (laughs) Vampire the Masquerade is a tabletop RPG or role-playing game, both intense and intimate to play, for it's a game of consequences. Ooh. Delicious, dreadful consequences. (laughs) In Vampire the Masquerade, you play as a supernatural beings, both powerful and damaged, inextricably tied to the mortal world, while cursed to never truly be a part of it. Session plays out like a high-budget TV drama crossed with a Greek tragedy, all boiled down to some basic dice-rolling and conversation. Oh, man! (laughs) I don't know how familiar some of you are with RPG games, but... In this one, you literally only need a pencil, paper, and some dice to play. But you could also partake in LARPing, which stands for Live Action Role Playing. And this would seemingly be the route Rod and his friends would take when playing this game. I know I know we have listeners that LARP. Yes. So they will, mm-hmm. they will be able to identify with this. Absolutely. And LARPing always seemed fun to me. I never really... Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd, I guess maybe more when I was a kid, but I don't know. I'd, I always oh. wanted to. I wanted to dress up. I yeah, wanted to you do get like to those reenactment stories. Like, out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it looks fun. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that everybody who does it in a normal way mm-hmm. has a nice fun time with their friends and a release from reality and then goes back home. This is right. like a shared delusion situation. It's very Vampire different. Vampire LARPing just seemed so dull to me though because it's like you're just kind of like, ah, bite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bite. Yeah. <laughs> And then I'm mesmerizing you. You have to come to me. And they're like, no, you're not, dude. Bye. <laughs> Bad on vampire LARPers. Yeah, Try harder. Okay. But let's jump ahead to 1995. Holly, can you tell us about the mid-90s? I can tell you about the mid-90s. So these are right in my high school years, obviously. And I'm here to tell you it was a really good time to be a mainstream goth. Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson were household names at this point in time. And your local mall probably got its first taste of Hot Topic. Yes. Yes. The very (laughs) first Hot Topic was opened in California in 1989, and a lot of the other ones followed suit. So Mm. by the mid-90s, which you gave me like 1994 to 1996, Mm -hmm. they were pretty popular. They were everywhere. I'm betting at least one of today's subjects worked there. (laughs) If you dug hard (laughs) enough, one of them worked at Hot Topic. sure. Also, The Crow was released, and with it, a generation of black-clad, darkness-worshipping, angsty teens were born. Yeah. Good God, did they love The Crow. Oh, yeah. Sandra took Rod to yeah. see it, and he, like, dressed up in face paint. Of course. She loved that they went to go see it. Of course she did. And then Brandon <laughs> Lee died on set. Oh, that was terrible. It is, but the tragedy made it even more of a thing mm-hmm. for people who are already super into it. So, you know, it's good to be a goth. Horror movies were upping their game with the release of extremely influential films like Silence of the Lambs, Cape Fear, Seven, and Misery. Sequels were also really enjoying A Day in the Sun with Hellraiser 3, The Exorcist 3, Army of Darkness, and Alien 3 all coming out in the mid-90s. Time for threes! (laughs) Love it. Yeah. (laughs) But it was the 1994 release of Anne Rice's sexy vampire epic Interview with the Vampire that would usher in a new age of vampire worshippers. So see, like I said... It's easy to be a goth in the mid-90s. It sure is. Over an average teen world, kids were wearing wide leg jeans, <laughs> baby tees, and chain wallets. They were listening to Mariah Carey, Alanis Morissette, and Blink-182. A small sampling of the top songs in the mid-90s include Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Mm, Exhale, right? I know. Do you hear it in your head? <laughs> yeah. I listen to it when I roller skate sometimes. Nice. <laughs> 
Uh, Exhale by Whitney Houston. Um, I Can Love You Like That by All 4-1, the number four. You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men because all tweens need a sex anthem. Yep, for sure. We didn't know what was going on. We were singing the shit out of that song. School dances. Oh, God. (laughs) Can you imagine being a teacher, like, listening to kids, like, a sex song and kids being like, yeah! Yeah. No. (laughs) No kids. Oh, Black Hole Sun was also popular by Soundgarden, mm-hmm. Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton, and I'll Be There For You, the theme from Friends by mm. the Rembrandts. Yes. Speaking of TV, while the 90s brought us Friends, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Seinfeld, Married with Children, Roseanne, and The Nanny, it also took a deep dive into teen angst with My So-Called Life, Beverly Hills 90210, which did get angsty. It did. People died. They did drugs. Yep. Everybody had an eating disorder. It was mm-hmm. a nightmare. <laughs> And Dawson's Creek. Similar over on Dawson's Creek. People died. Everyone they had did. an eating That's disorder. That's I'm watching now. Are you? Um, I'm rewatching it. It's so good. Are you like right in your teen zone? I am. Love and I it. And I keep wondering how, I don't know, TV was so different back then. Oh, yeah. These episodes would never be okay now. No, no, no. Oh, oh my God. No <laughs> way. Our blossoming goths would get classics like Twin Peaks, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I I just changed everybody's world. Oh, changed my world for the better. Unsolved Mysteries came out then, too, and MTV's animated anthem for disaffected youths everywhere, Daria. Nice. Fucking loved Daria. I hope my child is Daria. Oh, my God. (laughs) Maybe. Her friend Jane was my favorite. Yeah. My AOL screen name was Jane Lane 46 when I was 13. Jane was my favorite, too. But I, I could totally her. see my daughter, based on John's personality, my daughter <gasps> oh, would be Daria yeah. and I'd be Jane. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I always identified more with her. I was like, look, you have the red lip, yeah. you have some boots on, edgy haircut. <laughs> it's all good. Clueless also rocked the mainstream box office and launched us all into knee socks, pleated skirts, tiny purses, bucket hats, and the dream that one day we would all own a Jeep and be allowed to chew gum in class. And date our stepbrother. That movie does not hold up. It does not. (laughs) Unfortunately. Oh, no. It's still funny, though. Punk also became more mainstream, and with its devotees would be skateboarding around in their Doc Martens to the jarring three-chord melodies of Green Day, The Offspring, No Effects, Rancid, and The Descendants. In the news, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was arrested. Bill Clinton was re-elected president. The Russian space station Mir greets its first uh, Americans when the U.S. shuttle docked with the space station. A nerve gas attack in a Tokyo subway killed eight and injured thousands. The O.J. Simpson trial captured the nation. Singer Celia Quintanilla was murdered. And Timothy McVeigh carried out the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh. Those are the mid-90s. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. You feeling the, the Dawson's Creek? I am. Oklahoma City bombing vibe? Dawson's Creek yeah. came out then. That's, like, great. At this point, Rod and his family were living in Eustis, Florida. Just before his 15th birthday, Sandra married her second husband, Darren Vraven. Unfortunately for Rod, Darren was a shitty stepdad. No. Surprise. I know. He was a drug dealer and self-proclaimed Satanist. I do. I don't hate Satanists. I don't I like either, them. but it's. I think it's the way he's saying Self-proclaimed, it. Self-proclaimed, though? All right. You're probably just being a dick. I think I— that's why I kept it that way. I know. I feel you because I like a lot of their values. Oh, yeah. People, they're like, they're humanists. Yeah. People wear that mantle and they don't know what it represents. Exactly. And that's probably this guy. So. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Do you remember Shannon from the beginning of the story? Oh, I sure do. I like her. Well, she was dating Rod at the time. Oh, no. And she remembers Rod's personality starting to change after Sandra got married. Rod was depressed and angry more often. He started to dress in all black, and he was dyeing his hair. He's the stereotypical emo kid that all our parents were terrified of us becoming. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He had gotten really into the vampire game, too. She sensed that he was also using drugs, which he definitely got from Darren directly. Good job, Dad. Oh, no. I think he even went on um, record saying that, like, yeah, I, like, gave them drugs. Fucking Darren. I know. Sharon and Rod eventually broke up. Rod, now 15 and a sophomore, had gone full goth, wearing a long black trench coat over a Marilyn Manson t-shirt, his black pants and combat boots, and forever was brooding. Now, I appreciate a man who dresses in black and broods as much as the next girl. I was going to say, wait a minute. (laughs) But... (laughs) I cannot stop picturing Rod in this full-on attire, sometimes wearing, like, a white face paint with black lip and eyes in 90-degree weather. Oh, it gross. was Florida. He smelled. There's yeah. no way he didn't smell. Sorry. It he, would be sometimes, like, 100 degrees in the shade. You're a smelly, you're a smelly guy, if that's what you're wearing. <laughs> he probably thought he looked so cool when, really, he was just a hot mess. <laughs> Can you just seem, like, hot. sweating? Hey. <laughs> Just dripping with the chrome hair. (laughs) The chrome makeup just dripping off his face. Yeah. (laughs) Rod would seem very much like he was a loner at first, but this wasn't the case. He had friends and a very loyal group of followers. Most of these kids were outcasts too. Many of them came from troubled homes or just kind of wanted the drugs and alcohol Rod was getting from his stepdad. They played Vampire the Masquerade often in D&D and started to take some of the darker themes of the game and really make them into the rules for them to abide by in daily life. And now is when we dive deep into this story, and it gets real weird from here, everybody. Oh, my God. Do we meet all the other basement kids? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, okay. He started teaching his group of followers about real vampires. Mm-hmm. They seem skeptical, but he assured them it was true. They do exist, and there are clans all over. Rod himself was a vampire, and he wanted to create his own immortal family. Mm -hmm. Rod confided to them that he was a 500-year-old vampire named Versago. Of course he was. Before being turned, he was part of a French aristocracy. After centuries of living a lavish lifestyle, traveling the world and spitting on the poor, he grew bored and tucked himself away for a long time. Lying there, unable to die, he grew restless and decided maybe he just needed to try something different. Oh my God, so he was exactly interview with the vampire. Got it. <sighs> so he thought, why not see how the poor white people of Central Florida live? Why not? He clawed out, of from, he clawed out from the earth, dressed himself as a goth punk teen, and called himself Rod. And I mean, I- they all knew him when he was a kid, right? Well, this is his Eustace, Florida. He was in Murray when he was a kid. Okay. All right, then. And I assume, at this point, he had to track down his closest relative, which would be his great-great-great-great-grandmother, Sandra Gibson, mesmerize her and tell her that she was his mother and he would be living there now. It was a perfect plan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) I just want to dropkick this guy. Hi, I'm Vampire Rod. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And the group started to believe him. The basement kids love him. They love him. (sighs) Now hear me out. Okay. (laughs) Rod was left alone a lot Mm -hmm. as a kid. What did I say? Nobody paid attention to kids. 
These books were all he had. His mother was into this fantasy role-playing stuff, too. So she, like, encouraged every time he had a story. She was like, She was yes. a child herself, so. Yeah. Her new husband was also practicing, was a practicing Satanist, so he probably had some, like, weird shit hanging around the house as well. Yeah. Other new books. All Rod did all day was research, study, build entire fantasy worlds to live in. He wasn't a dumb kid. He was smart, but he only cared about this one thing— which is why later on they may think he has, like, Asperger's, too. And I think they run some tests. Yeah. Uh, In the game, they reference books like the Necronomicon and the Book of Nod. The Necronomicon, also known as the Book of the Dead, is a fictional book that was created in the stories of horror writer H.P. Lovecraft. The real book is usually wrapped in, like, human skin, but I'm sure Rod's copy was just, like, paperback from the clearance rack at Barnes & Noble. That's upsetting. <laughs> The Book of Nod is a collection of texts that are viewed as sacred by the Nodists and the Elders. What does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it was a book created specifically to be a prop piece for the Vampire the Masquerade game. So it's not even oh, like it's a nothing. real, like, it's in there. They know it's a prop piece, but he's just like, this is our Bible. But Rod really oh, wanted no. to believe these scriptures and rules to the darker side are real. He also wanted to believe, like, dark magic was real. And part of this world meant sharing blood. And it was the most precious gift someone could give. He also created a storyline for his character, saying that he was awakened to build an army of vampiric children to fight against the coming war in the year 2000, against the children of God. Mm-hmm. And he would preach this to his followers, like, constantly. Yeah, you gotta preach when you have a cult. Right. During gameplay, Rod would experiment with the other players and offer them to drink his blood, and he would drink their blood. And sometimes, if they were special enough, he would make them into an immortal like him. This meant a special ritual called the embrace, usually around the graveyard, but it could really be anywhere, but it was always going to be around a graveyard. Of course. You really (laughs) got to set the scene. Whoever Rod deemed ready, because not everybody was ready for this. Of course not would make a cut on their body for Rod to drink from, usually until the blood stopped because it would be maybe like a small cut, or till the person started to feel a bit faint. They never felt faint. That never happened. It would be so much blood for them to have to feel yeah, faint. Yeah, the blood loss for you to feel lightheaded is like a, a would lot. would have to drink so much. They, I mean, they probably felt faint because, like, that was happening Because they were cutting themselves, yeah. which could also make you feel faint. Right. Then Rod would make a cut on himself for them to drink from. And now they are a vampire. Mm-hmm. A vampire. Right. Cursed to roam the earth for eternity as a child of the night and sentenced to servitude of the one who sired them. Do they get to yell, bat? <laughs> Rod probably That's did. That's the only Apparently benefit. Apparently nobody what else doing? could fly, only uh, Rod. He could fly? He could fly. No, he could he not. He could fly. He could fly. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, they now did as Rod commanded because they were his, his child. Yeah. His Childer? Children? 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 Children, but he like it's like children. Ew, gross. Also, the word sired is disgusting. Yeah. I hate it. Rod taught his clan that drinking each other's blood was a spiritual communion, and this would also be another guy that would say that. Most of them would agree that the act would give them a kind of buzz and that they developed a sort of bloodlust. <sighs> Insert one of the many thousands of eyes rolls I'm about to give this episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> And just to know, again, some of these kids were just having fun. They, Some of them weren't drinking the blood. They were just, like, enjoying the role-playing and the LARPing. They, and they were black, just kind of horny as fuck. Maybelline like they were, lip. Yeah. They wore so many mesh shirts. Yeah, they just— They were horny as fuck. You're right. They were, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> 
and drugged. Like a lot of them were like doing drugs, like light drugs, but they were still light doing drugs them and fucking when they were like kids. Guys, Ugh. never letting my children out of my sight now. <laughs> Are you LARPing? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, probably the safest thing for yeah, your child to be doing. You're like, no, I know yes. it. Whose basement are you in? Yeah. <laughs> God. Rumors had started going around the school that Rod thought himself a vampire, and some of his gothy friends would confirm this fact. Kids and teachers started to notice he had cuts on his arms. When confronted by his vice principal, he told him not to worry. He wasn't hurting himself because he was sad. He was just bored. The vice principal was extremely concerned, but there wasn't much that he could do except monitor him and hope that his mom would send him to therapy. Yeah. And now enters Heather Wendorf. Heather was a cute little girl. She came from a good middle-class family. Her mother, Ruth Wendorf, was a stay-at-home mom while her father was a warehouse manager for a bottling company. Her sister, Jennifer, was a junior at the high school and was a very smart, popular, and pretty cheerleader. Heather was also very smart and pretty, but she didn't seem to find the social aspects of high school as appealing or easy as her sister did. Rod noticed Heather was artsy and seemed to be interested in the fantasy world. He introduced himself to her. She found him weird, but was intrigued to find out if the rumors were true. Heather didn't quite believe that he was a real vampire. She just liked the idea that vampires in fantasy world might be real, but she knew better. So we think. Oh, Heather and Rod were now hanging out a lot. It wasn't long until Heather began to find Rod attractive. Physically, she didn't find him good-looking, but the way he talked and the knowledge he had of the world was intoxicating. Listen, a good talker can go real far when it comes to, like, getting a woman mm-hmm. in bed. Or anybody. Can, yeah. To getting anybody in bed. It's, that's not reserved for and women. she's, like, 14 at this point, too. She's... You know, yeah, and he's and an so, older guy, and yeah, yeah I, I can totally see that. And he has like a bunch of people listen to him, you know, so it's a big deal. She would think he was probably reading too much Anne Rice, but he never you think, <laughs> but he never seemed to break character, even when his statements would be contradictory. It almost added to the weight of his insanity that one might imagine when thinking of a vampire. He told her about the end of the world coming in 2000 and that he was building an army of the undead. Now he has zombies? <laughs> well, that's what they call them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Vampires. And poor sweet little girl. She began to really take to the idea of dying and being with Rod forever. They would meet every day after school in the cemetery, and he would tell her about the corruption in the world and how petty Americans were, and that this life was so different from his f- fancy French days in the 1400s. When he was Lestat? Yes. Okay. He shared with her the Big Book of Death, a large book, almost like a comic book, that explores different ways of dying. It's very fun, and I recommend it, but I don't recommend taking it as seriously as Heather is. It's not a textbook. No. Got it. Heather was considering drinking Rod's blood. If the world was going to end in 2000, then she knew she had to die, and she would rather be undead with him. Because Rod was so super powerful, he was able to astral project— he would enter her dreams, and he could time travel, because that's a thing here, and see Why her not? past lives. And through meditation, he could remember their past lives together. Oh, yeah, They yeah, had yeah. been lovers before and friends, and they traveled the world together. Of course. He could also fly, but don't ask him to show you, because he just shouldn't have to prove himself to you. Oh, my God. That is, that is for sure some cult shit. Mm-hmm. I can do all this, but, like, your faith should be enough. Heather wanted so badly to be able to do the things Rod could do. He told her to keep reading the books and practicing. <laughs> just just keep trying. Oh, no. 
So, like, they would spend hours of her just, like, sitting there trying to astral project. Come on, man! (sighs) Heather was so ready to leave this earth and wanted Rod to change her, or at least take her on an astral journey. But Rod would constantly tell her to slow down and that she wasn't ready. Because if he ever did any of that, she would realize he was full of shit. Totally 100%. That is another cult thing. Like the end of the world people that are like, the end of the world is on Friday. And then it's Friday and they were like, we got it wrong. The end of the world is next Friday. And they just keep doing that. (laughs) But Rod told Heather that she was a chosen one. She was somebody that was going to live forever and that patience is a virtue. Heather's family wasn't blind to what was going on with Heather. Her sister Jenny was concerned and caught Heather cutting her upper arm. Heather told her she would tell mom about her drinking if she tattled. Jenny said whatever and told her mom anyways. Mrs. Wendorf tried talking to her daughter and asked to see her arm, but Heather was angry that she just didn't believe her when she said she wasn't cutting herself. For a time, Heather was still getting good grades. She was just kind of dressing like a little bleaker. Her art was becoming a little darker. They weren't super worried. They just figured she was going through a phase. And her mom noticed that she was taking an interest in like new age healing So she thought fostering the ideas of, like, crystal and energy work would be healthy for her. But a lot of that was also being used for, like, light magic and, like, weird things. Though her dad didn't seem to approve much, her mom felt it was important to let her explore this, like, more creative path. After all, she was still their sweet little girl. And she's a teen. She is. They're just going through something. Dude, every, like— 12-year-old in the early 90s was like, I'm going to be a witch real quick. Yeah. Nobody didn't do that. No, and I'm still trying. Exactly. So. So. Just when Rod was feeling like the king of the world or the prince of darkness, Sandra announced that she was divorcing Darren and that they would be moving back to Murray, Kentucky to live with her parents again. He was livid. Of course. He was growing an army and now his mom was ruining everything. (laughs) You ruined my fucking (laughs) army, mom. (laughs) I haven't... I haven't really touched on this part of Rod and Sandra's relationship yet. Well, I guess like a little bit. Even though Sandra tried to be more of a friend than a parent, Rod and Sandra would have epic fights. It was incredibly toxic how they could go from holding hands, walking down the street, because some people thought they were together, to being verbally and physically abusive. Sandra, who was strange herself, would scream at Rod that he was the son of Satan and that he had no good left in him. It wasn't healthy or good. Also... Even though Rod was constantly saying he was the devil's child walking with earthly feet, he would get so mad when someone else would call him, like, say that he was Satan's child. Only he's allowed to call himself that. Yeah, he'd be like, I'm not the son of Satan. I don't know, Rod. Except for I am the son of Satan. so weird, yeah. Before leaving Eustace, he decided to have one last bloodletting party at his house. Heather and their friend Janine were both invited— even though he was trying to indoctrinate Heather, he had been sleeping with Janine a lot. He's fucking all of these people. Yeah. Every single one of them. The basement kids, they're all fucking him. I know. There was another boy there, too. They were all in his room. They had candles going. An altar was set up. Rod was reading from his, like, Necronomicon or something. <laughs> and the two of the kids were on the bed licking blood off each other. Of course. And it was a really special evening. It sounds special. But then Sandra entered the room. Fucking Sandra! She was horrified. She started (laughs) screaming for everyone to get out, and she was knocking things over, and Rod just laughed at her. Heather was scared, but Rod just told her, she's just pissed because she wants me to make her immortal. Heather thought, that was weird of his mom. (laughs) 
After everyone left, Rod told his mom he was leaving. She told him if he left, she was going to destroy his CD player or something, and that she wished he had never been born. Rod went from fairly calm to psychotic in seconds. He lunged at Sadra, holding a knife to her throat, and then said, You know, I would never hurt you. And then relaxes, walks away, and then turns back around and throws the knife at her face, but misses by inches. And he, of course, is just like, I meant to miss. Of course. What? Of, yeah. He didn't want to hit her. He was just proving his point. Yeah. His power. I feel like if he did try to miss, he would have hit her. Oh, so. for sure. <laughs> <sighs> There's no way that guy has aim. <laughs> and right then, Sandra sought out help for her son. Just kidding. She did nothing. <laughs> she called a counselor. Case closed. Okay. <laughs> they left Eustace and went back to Murray to continue their dysfunctional lives together. Rod would stay in contact with Heather and Janine through, though, and promised his fledgings that he would come back to them and prepare them for the coming war. Oh, no. <laughs> Life back in Murray was depressing for Rod. He hated it there. I'm sure he didn't enjoy being back with his grandparents again, but he also hated the kids in high school. Because they knew he was a kid. <laughs> he did, Yeah, probably. He describes them as rich, preppy snobs, but I saw the footage, and that's not at all how I would describe them. <laughs> What is his version of a rich preppy snob? I guess, I don't want to say. I don't want (laughs) to. Anyway. Okay. So not that. Not that. Got it. They definitely, I guess maybe they just had more money than him. They're Murray Murray is a college town, so there's, um, they have, you know, there's a lot of college kids hanging around, so maybe there's some cooler kids. I don't know. I don't know. But they're not preppy kids. It's not a preppy. No. I mean, I. I grew up in Connecticut, so. You know from Preppy. I know what Prep is. You were like six I am cars prep. and pearls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were not wearing pearls to school, I will tell you that. And they probably only had one collar, if that. Maybe. Ugh. No. <laughs> Three collars at least. <laughs> Bare minimum for preppiness. <laughs> He would get in trouble a lot and called down to the office. At first, Sandra was reminded of her time in high school and would brush off the principal's complaints, saying he was just picking on her little boy for being a little different than the others. But even Sandra couldn't help denying Rod had issues. Rod rekindled his friendship with Scott Anderson and Matt Goodman. Rod definitely looked a bit different from the last time he saw them, but they were intrigued at his stories of Florida and the vampire world. Oh, no. so well-traveled. Oh, my God. You're so worldly. Tell me about Florida. Scott really took to the vampire lifestyle, whereas Matt enjoyed playing the actual tabletop game and like dueling in the cemetery, but he thought Rod was full of shit with his immortality and that bloodletting was really gross. I like that kid. I love imagining them sword fighting in the cemetery, though. He's like, this is cool, but I'm not doing that that stuff. Uh (laughs) But you have friends that sword fight in the cemetery? When we were like younger, like, and it's not cool. They don't look cool doing it, but I love it. <laughs> if you watch these, hero. we're going to list these documentaries that I watch because you will see some of them like playing around with their swords and it's great. <laughs> we'll link them in the show notes. We'll make sure you guys can watch. Scott, like I mentioned before, came from a really bad family life and was excited to have his friend back. Rod, who sounded so smart and worldly, now accepted Scott and valued his friendship and loyalty. This made Scott feel amazing, especially once other goth kids began to gravitate towards Rod, Scott never was left behind, and soon Rod would share his blood with Scott, making him immortal. Okay, I will forever be amazed by this part, but there was a rival vampire gang in town. (laughs) Yeah, 
There wasn't just the one. The there death. was two. So now there's some vamps in Florida. Well, the New and Orleans vampires have like six houses. I know. Well, there's 13 <laughs> clans of them. Oh, there you go. In the so, same town? <laughs> in the same town. Ta- in the same high school. Somebody test that water, please. So... <laughs> While Rod was living in Florida, a 16-year-old by the name of Stephen Murphy, who went by his vampiric name, Jaden, had formed his own little family that he called a coven, which is like which a is wrong. witch thing. Yeah. So I, also, okay. you chose Jaden? Jaden. Boy. Jaden's philosophy of vampiric lifestyle was based more in Christianity, and he also kind of followed more of the gameplay. In okay. this. He saw human life as something worth protecting. The number one rule for his vampire clan was do not kill humans. The second was to only drink from those who offered. He would also call it like a spiritual communion. And that was like a big thing. Jaden had a large group of friends that would run live action Vampire the Masquerade. And if things weren't already stupid, just wait. <laughs> so I've watched three documentaries on this case and read over 400 pages of this book. And the way Jaden and Rod talk about their rival and then friendship and then breakup is just, it's just so dumb, Holly. <laughs> I can't. They're in love. <laughs> They're, yes, they have <laughs> to be. They just have to be. Okay. So basically, because this can go, I mean, they could talk about their rival for days. <laughs> And you would just, I think each documentary, it got more dramatic. Of course. You have so, to- which made me think that none of that happened. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't. Rod and Jaden had a will they, won't they moment <laughs> when finally. <laughs> oh, they, they did. When finally they decided they would. And in everyone's best interest, they joined clans. And because Jaden was the vampire prince of Murray, Rod would be <laughs> sired by him, Blech. but made to be his equal. Jaden kind of saw Rod as like, you know, one day you can take over my clan. They're the same age. No, Rod is 7,000 years old. That's true. (laughs) They would like talk about who sired them and Jaden would be like, this guy in England did this like famous, you know him. And he's just like, sure. Oh, no. It's so weird. It's like they would. It's a shared delusion. It's like Slender Man Mm -hmm. where they so fully believe in the same thing that Mm -hmm. they end up doing something crazy. They would now be the only two who could sire other vampires. Oh, just them. Just them. Good. So they had a beautiful ceremony at the cemetery. (laughs) Back at the cemetery. (laughs) Where Rod embraced Jaden and Jaden embraced Rod. And then they just sat there in quiet meditation. Then they fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know that. I I don't know that they did, but I would, I mean, it seems, it is very clear on the documentaries that they probably have orgies. Which, okay, if you want to fuck all your friends, that's fine. Just, like, don't kill anybody. And, like, think, I hope none of them, I mean, we just got out of the AIDS pandemic. Like, I know that they're young, but, like, chill out. Yeah, seriously. (sighs) It's that I'll make love to you. (laughs) (laughs) Rod told Jaden that he had a mission from the elders to form an army of vampires to fight God and that in the year 2000, his mission and the prophecy would all be made clear. Jaden said cool, although he was a Christian, which shocked Rod. This would end up being the major problem in their union. <laughs> oh, no. Jaden, who thought he and Rod were on the same page, drinking blood and, you know, being like drinking blood for Christ, was severely wrong. <laughs> Rod was here to bring darkness unto the world and fill it with the undead. 
Fuck humans and their greed, is what Rod says. Mm-hmm. Jaden wasn't too worried about Rod at first. He was like, whatever, this kid's just weird. Now that Rod was in his coven, the groups were joined and they all began hanging out at the clubhouse called The Crypt. <laughs> it's disgusting. It looks like a vampire feeding den that Buffy would have busted in seconds. Ew. <laughs> I just can't. But this is where they would play their live action role playing game, drink each other's blood, have sex with each other, and do each other's makeup. These kids love putting on some wet and wild black lip. Oh, they did. <laughs> they did. Jaden, who combined Christianity and vampirism together, found that Rod was sticking with the more satanic side. The group that seemed to gravitate toward him were delving into like light and dark magics. Rod was fostering their creativity and interest in magics. Some considered themselves fairies too. And Rod was super supportive, but then once he got like really tired of them, he would just kind of turn around, shun them for practicing light magic and tell them they were stupid. It was like a Hypocrite. constant up and down thing. So they were just constantly looking for his approval. Mm. It, he definitely knew what he was doing. Now, mind you, at this time, Rod is pretty drugged up, and I'm sure many of the other kids are too. As was the case in Florida, most Rod and Jaden's children were lost souls with terrible home lives and were misunderstood. But here, they were getting to pretend to be something completely different. An interview with a vampire had just come out, and it really turned them on. So this was their outlet. Also, schizophrenia and LSD are not friends. Yeah, that's something— So, and also some of the— um. Some of the documentaries, Sandra will kind of make mention of this where Rod would kind of be fine and then he would do some coke and all of a sudden just be super angry. And that kind of made me think too, if there's something going on, he's having a terrible reaction to it. He's also 16 using drugs, so. Yeah, we talked about like um, the effect that certain drugs have on certain mental disorders and Richard Mm -hmm. Chenton taste. Right. They're not friends. No. They don't make you just chill out. They, mm-hmm. ma- they make people do some pretty awful things. Right. Some of these kids were college students from the nearby campus who were theater majors and enjoyed the role-playing aspect. Listen. <laughs> Jaden would bring Rod with him to the campus, uh, but would get pissed when Rod would try to cut the kids and feed from them. <laughs> it was just, like, his last name being Farrell is so perfect. <laughs> Can you just chill out, just please? Just chill out. The kids were annoyed with Rod, too, and told him to chill. But then some would some would actually, like, let him do this. They're of like, course. okay, let, let's try it. <sighs> Even though Rod is coming off pretty silly to us, to this group of teenagers, Rod was special. He was a god. And he made them feel special. His approval meant everything to them. And because of this, Rod also got a lot of V, and I don't mean vampire. Well, oh, I guess I kind of do. And one of the girls that took an interest in him was Charity Kesey. She was a young 15 or 16 at the time. It was a sweet, innocent girl. I think she was still a Girl Scout. Rod loved a chance to corrupt someone, and so he jumped on Charity as fast as he could, and she loved the attention. Their relationship became sexual real quick, and they were obsessed with each other. Charity lost herself to Rod. She dyed her hair, started dressing in all black, and started acting angsty. She was full-on emo goth now. Their relationship was clearly very toxic from the start, but... Don't those just make, like, the most passionate ones? We all think that. Yeah. From what I can gather, Charity, who even though would cheat on him from time to time, only wanted Rod and to be desired by Rod. She dreamed of life with him. She wanted to be married, own a house, have kids. I think overall she pictured his life with him without all the vampire bullshit. (sighs) But Rod just liked having Charity around. It was like her obsession gave him more power. 
Did I mention I hate him? Yeah, he's awful. Rod soon found Charity ready, and they shared each other's blood, bonding them for life. Mm -hmm. He also shared blood with Dana Cooper, another girl that had been hanging around a lot. Dana also came from a dysfunctional family. She was on her own, and she found a family with this group of vampire wannabes. That makes me so sad. Rod was on his path to creating his army, and he shared with his family the army— and he shared with his family and Murray that he had another family in Florida (laughs) that was waiting for them. It wasn't long before Rod's behavior at school led him to be expelled for at least a semester, but he didn't care about that. Um, At this time, too, so there was— Sandra does actually try to get Rod into therapy, and Sandra does go to therapy with him, but he keeps missing it, and she keeps also allowing for excuses for him not to go. So it's not really doing anything. She didn't anything. try hard. Yeah, and the the therapist is very clear. Like, I, he has some problems, but she never really got to sit down with him long enough to be yeah. able to figure anything out, whether it was just him being, like, an angsty teen or if there was something darker there. Yeah, plus with a therapist, like— they're not, they're not going to find things out that you don't want them to find out. Especially somebody like Rod, who is just... Who could manipulate a conversation, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sandra herself had enough problems. Like, she was always causing issues, calling the cops for, like, ghosts being in her house and... <laughs> Crying in her black <laughs> yeah. shift. It's a bad time. Bad time. The next part is going to be a trigger warning for those sensitive to animal brutality. Oh, God, I hate this part so much. And I'm just going to kind of do it all at once. Rip it off like a Band-Aid. Uh, yeah. Oh, My dog is barking because he knows what's coming. He does. For starters, it is believed that Rod may have started killing cats while he was living in Eustace using a a sword that he liked to play with. He also talked a lot about feeding from animals when he couldn't feed from humans, but that could all just be part of his game. Then one night, Jaden, who was already starting to realize Rod and him were not on the same page, went for a walk with Rod in the cemetery. They did this a lot. I'm sure they would just meditate and feed on each other when they did this. They would also have long talks about the future of their coven, and Rod would speak of the coming war again. Fucking war. He's, like, obsessed with this. But this one night, a cat crossed their path, and Rod picked it up. He was petting the cat calmly, and then bam flung the cat into the tree, causing it to convulse and then die. Rod just grinned and moved on. Jaden was spooked for sure. He started pulling away here, trying to reclaim his coven from Rod. Then on October 14th, he was charged with breaking into an animal shelter and torturing and killing animals. More than 40 dogs were beaten at the Murray Animal Shelter. Two dogs were killed, including one dog whose legs were torn off. Grass was trampled down in a circular path around the two dead puppies in the same, in some kind of ritual, authorities said. And court records also show that he had been charged with the trespassing as well. It's unclear who else was involved, but guarantee Scott was probably there. The documentary shows the puppies. So if you're like very sensitive to that, like maybe stay away from that documentary. You'll see like the woman come up, so then just kind of. Fast forward like yeah, a when, minute, two when minutes. They get to the animal shelter. Like Just, fast forward, yeah, because it's it's pretty tough to look at, and they mm-hmm. are like little baby puppies. It's terrible. It makes me so sad. It's awful. If this wasn't enough for Jaden to kick Rod out of the coven, then this next thing would be. It was soon discovered that Sandra, who was really into vampire stuff too, was writing love letters to Jaden's fourteen-year-old brother and soliciting sex. 
It was all part of a vampire initiation ritual. She, but she wrote gross letters that you can find. You can find all these. His they're mother, all, and this yes. is her other son. She's like in her thirties. But this is her other son, Jaden's son. Oh, 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 okay. Jaden's brother. I oh, mean. okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, still, still gross, but not incest. Okay, not incest. Yeah. So she wrote things like. I want to make you my vampire, or I want to be your vampire bride, and describing how they could pleasure each other. Ew. And it was horrible and gross, and I hate Aphrodite Jones, who wrote the book that I read for this, for going into so much detail. She, like, put in all the letters, and it was Uh. disgusting. But you can also find them online because she did have to go to court for this, and they're all out there. Um, Jaden's mom, Penny, (gasps) like— found these letters and was just, like, mortified. It was terrible. Messy couch penny. Yeah. But because Sandra is a woman and it was a 14-year-old boy, she only served a short sentence and then was allowed to just be, like, on probation. That's nuts. Rod hated his mother for this, obviously. Oh, yeah. I hate your Um, mother for that, too. But overall, it was time for Rod to leave, and so he looked to his most loyal to follow him, and he wanted to speed up his plans ahead to New Orleans. But first, they would need to pick up some of his children in Florida, Heather and Janine. Now, I think I leave Janine out in part of this um, because she doesn't end up going with them. Oh, you you mentioned her in the beginning. You said another friend didn't come. She was, like, going to come, and then she didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, like, kept putting her in the story, and then I was like, she wasn't even there. Poor Janine. (laughs) She made the right call. Good job, Janine. Before Rod left, he had racked up a $1,000 phone bill from calling Heather in Florida. Oh. Yeah. Sandra and his grandparents were— Pretty mad at him, but Rod didn't care. When he was talking to Heather all those nights, they would play Vampire the Masquerade, discuss discuss plans to run away to New Orleans, and continue to confide in each other. Now, like most teenagers, a lot of them are, you know, when he's on the phone, there's probably a group of them around him, so they were all yeah. getting to know each other. Um, sometimes Jaden would be around before they had their split, but mostly it was Scott. Jaden remembers overhearing Rod and Heather discuss her abusive family. Jaden was under the impression that Heather was beaten a lot, and he saw how much this angered Rod. He wanted—he realized, like, looks like Rod, like, he wants to save her. You know, that's, like, a whole thing. Right. Rod would tell this to Scott, but when Scott talked to Heather, she never mentioned anything bad about her parents. Mostly that they were just give her a hard time sometimes. Makes you wonder if Heather was putting on an act for Rod, trying to seem like a damsel in distress, or if Rod was overreacting and just making it all up, trying to, like, create a terrible story in his head. Even money on both of those, man. Rod would talk about killing Heather's parents for being abusive, and Heather would even mention that she would need to kill her parents if she ever wanted to leave. But again, this could just be, like, a bad joke that she was making. Oh, my God, never throw around the terms, I'm going to kill my parents. Just don't do it. Yeah. You mad? That's fine. Just don't talk about that with your friends. But as deep as she was into the vampire thing with Rod, she really didn't think he was capable of murder. It was just all part of the game, right? Yeah. So Rod and Scott discussed going to New Orleans all the time. Rod told him there was a clan of vampires there that would accept them into their family, thus growing Rod's own family, and it sounded nice. Holly, if you will, be a doll and tell us about the vampires of New Orleans. can do. They, um... Like I told you before, first of all, they use different terminology on their website. They use houses. They okay. don't say clans anywhere. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I think that's um, just a rod term he, he I uses. I think it is. Own. Yeah. And I think that is worth mentioning, too. Like, you made your own stuff. This is not mm-hmm. how they talk. Right. Uh, well, he definitely grabs it from, I think it's 13 clans is in the book, The Vampire the Masquerade. That checks out. 
Right. So uh, in 2005, a group called the New Orleans Vampires Association was formed. <laughs> I know, they're very official too. Was formed by a group of like-minded New Orleans folks who all believed themselves to be vampires. And I don't mean they thought they were sexy dark fiction characters. I mean, and this is this is where they differ from Rod a little bit. They believe they have a medical need to drink human blood. They don't hmm. think they're like 700 years old. They don't have sexy backstories. They just say that, this is a quote, Symptoms of vampirism start to manifest around puberty when those who later become reliant on ingesting blood find themselves physically drained for no discernible reason. They usually discover accidentally that blood offers a remedy, that they might bite their lip, for instance, and realize that swallowing the metallic liquid between their teeth gives them an instant burst of energy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And before you get excited and think, maybe I'm a vampire, sure would like to sparkle. No, you're not. <laughs> A word on human blood and the human stomach. They don't mix. First of all, human blood is an irritant to the digestive tract, and if you drink a big glass of it, you're going to throw it up. Not only that, but you can. it can also be dangerously toxic even if the blood you choose to drink is entirely free of diseases. Why? Well, healthy human blood is rich in iron. Our bodies have a hard time getting rid of excess iron. If you drink more than what you might consume when eating, say, a raw steak, you're at risk for iron overload. This condition is called hemochromatosis, and it creates all kinds of nasty side effects like joint pain, lowered sex drive, abdominal pain, weight loss, fatigue, and more. So it's not good for you to drink blood. <laughs> Just FYI. But back to New Orleans. The reasons these folks aren't yakking blood all over the bayou is because they don't drink much of it. Just a few teaspoons here and there is apparently enough for them to get by. They gather together and take their life-giving red stuff from willing victims. They usually don't drink from each other. They usually have, like, other people they bring into the they circle. They have donors. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> what a fun term. The whole thing is very consensual and deeply steeped in magic culture. The New Orleans vampires are divided into Harry Potter-like houses that all have their own meetings, Facebook groups, charity events, balls, and more. I love it. Yeah, they have a good old time. I understand why he wants to go there. <laughs> right. So, but this is 1996. And just to say, the houses have been along, uh, been around a lot longer than the association. So the individual mm -hmm. houses, some of them are much older. Um, and by much older, I mean like 1990, oh, not like okay. 1890. This right. is sort of a recent coming together of people. Yeah. And they also love, like they play Dungeons and Dragons too, probably. Mm -hmm. And they also love a wordy sentence. Let me read you their guiding philosophy. Yes. Quote, <clears throat> in the lexicon of one of the founding houses of Nova, House Rakowski, Nova is a clan meaning of a, oh, there's clan, a confederation of houses of the community with an agreed accord of ideals. The ideals of such a, quote, clan as Nova are usually embodied in a credo that encapsulates the joint ideals and goals of the members of the group, the reality proposed by the group, if you will. A nova is a star that has exploded, producing a black hole, a rift in known space that represents new vistas of what could be. The letters in nova has been said, have been said is New Orleans Vampire Association, but that is not all. Nova can also read as a standing for Novus Ordo Vampire Ascendere, or the new order of vampire has arisen. Nova arose from the various attempts to give the vampire and other kin subcultures other kin subcultures, sorry. Other kin is a hyphenate, and that's another word we're going to get to in a minute. <laughs> Support and structure and the ashes of hurricane in the ashes of Hurricane Katrina. The, quote, new order of Nova is that of a round table in which there is no single head, but rather a body of equals, each house 
having one vote, thus negating the power plays that have marred not only the community from which Nova comes, but also many other unorthodox communities as well. So they like to set themselves apart from the rods of the world. Race. In the image of the Nova, and they're still going, and the revealed credo, we can see a coming forth out of seeming darkness, the light of individuals made stronger by the backing of others with whom they are in accord without any loss of individualism. Setting aside the factionalism of the past, Nova seeks to back only their own, only on the points where they agree. The points on which the members of Nova disagree do not take away from where they do agree. (laughs) He's nuts. Each house has its own paradigm, and the points of where the houses agree composes of the paradigm of Nova. (laughs) It is not for one house to define what vampirism is for the rest of Nova, but rather offer backing where and for what we can agree on. By removing the factionalism, such debates over who is, quote, real and who is not allows Nova to actually do things that have a constructive impact on the community, making life better for all, even those that one may not agree with. So there's like no drama. <laughs> exactly. Or we will kick you out. Like yeah. for serious, we know people have done awful things. We need to disassociate from them. Right. <laughs> it sounds real easy to rag on these guys, and maybe it is, but they also do a considerable amount of charity work in New Orleans, mm-hmm. like feeding the homeless on every major holiday. And they make note, they're like, these are Christian holidays. We get it. We're not Christian, but people celebrate and we want to give them food because they're hungry. Oh, and they hurt exactly no one. These folks are mostly artists and musicians that like to lick small razor blade cuts on their friends' backs. Is it something I could get into? Oh, God, no. But they don't want me. These vampires are content to hang out with each other. They don't, like, recruit people. That's not a thing. They don't do any harm, and they give back to their community. Oh, and they don't disclude what they call other kin or Therians. And these are people who actually believe they're werewolves. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get into them another time okay. because I have so much to say and I feel like it's a whole podcast. <laughs> do I believe these people actually need to drink blood? Hard no. But do they do more for their community than I probably do? So, yeah, I don't stand in any position to judge them. In reality, they probably suffer from a mild case of something called Renfield syndrome, which Leslie has talked about on the podcast before. I think perhaps when we discussed Richard Trenton Chase. Yeah. Renfield syndrome is the mind, not the body. So maybe they think they need to drink blood, and I won't argue with that, but their body doesn't really need it. Hmm. And those are the New Orleans vampires. They have this yeah. like more concrete medical tie and a community. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he wanted to be part of this community which now states very boldly that they would not have wanted anything to do with him. Yeah, they would not have liked him at all. No, but their houses have existed there for a while, so okay. he would have probably been able to have heard of that culture. Plus, Definitely. they were on a documentary a while ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. They also have uh, psi vampires, which are emotional vampires, like— <gasps> Colin Robinson. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love it. So those ones, they don't, uh, they get their energy from feeding off of other people's emotions or their energies, which, so if you're ever in a room and you're starting to feel drained <sighs> from somebody, yeah, that's like, there's probably a psi vampire in the room with you. Probably. <laughs> we all know a couple of psi vampires. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, thank you, Allie. There was nothing left for Rod in Murray, Kentucky, and he was ready to leave, but first they needed to go to Florida. Scott was ready. He had his car full of gas and a pocket full of cash. So he wasn't kidnapped at all. (laughs) No, not even a little kidnapped. They hopped in the car. Their friend Dana wanted to come and start a new life too, so she grabbed a few of her belongings and hopped in the car. Uh, Charity, who was probably just right by Rod's hip, also was just naturally in the car as well. 
at this point, too, this is when she would have told Rod that she was pregnant, but she had no idea. She was just like, I think I'm pregnant. And he was like, I'm going to jump off a building. Or, and he was like, well, you can't die. You're undead. Yeah, jump off all the buildings you want. Well, you're you're to Yeah. And we are now back at the beginning of our story. Hmm. It is November 25th, 1996, and Rod and Scott are hiding in the bushes, holding wooden clubs, about to knock Heather's parents out. Once they saw the girls drive off, Rod and Scott entered the house through the garage. While in the garage, they poked around to see if there was anything worth taking, and that's when Rod spotted the crowbar. He thought it would work better than his wooden club. Yeah. Plus, vampires and wood just, like, don't mix. Oh, man, yeah. Symbolically, that's not, mm-hmm. not a great idea. Rod checked in with Scott to make sure he was good to go, and Scott, being a loyal servant, nodded. He had grown a little crush for Heather, who agreed to share blood with him once they moved to New Orleans. Oh, Lord. So he was down to do anything that meant securing their escape. Once they entered the house, it was quiet. They slowly walked around and saw that Richard had fallen asleep on the couch watching TV. Rod, now standing over Richard, started dancing around, enjoying the fact that Richard had no idea they were even in the room. As Rod pondered how to hit him, he thought, maybe I'll kill him. But then he, like, pushed that feeling aside. Mm -hmm. But then Richard Wendorf started to wake up, and he popped his head off the table, and Rod's eyes went dark, and he just began to hit Richard in the head. Richard tried to fight back, but he had been hit too hard during the first blow, Rod kept wailing and even tried to impale him, which oh didn't work because it's a crowbar and it's not a something blunt sharp. Edge. Yeah. So he broke a bunch of his ribs, and by the end, Rod had crushed his skull in and he was dead. Oh my God. It's a very Andrew Borden death on the couch. It was really chaotic. Yikes. Scott just stood there. He was terrified. Of course. That's when Ruth. Wendorf, Heather's mother, came around the corner. Ruth had just gotten out of the shower, poured herself a fresh cup of coffee, and went back to her room for something. She was in her room, presumably, when her husband had when her husband was being killed. She came out wondering what the commotion was and entered through the kitchen. She stopped and was very confused. She even asked them if they were Heather's friends. Like it didn't hit her at oh, all. No. She was like, Are you here for Heather? Which at this, like, they have no idea that she's not in the house. Like, they didn't need to be there. But then she saw the blood and then her dead husband on the couch. She thought very quickly. She threw her hot coffee at Rod, burning his skin. Smart. But Rod kind of jumped on her a little too fast. This angered him a lot. He started beating her with the crowbar. She blocked her face and tried to fight back, but he knocked her to the ground and she delivered a few more final blows before she finally stopped moving. Blood was everywhere, including all over Rod and Scott. Before leaving the scene, Rod branded a V with very small circles around it on Richard's body. Ew! This was the mark of Rod's clan, and the circle symbolized the members of his clan. The boys found the keys to the Wendorf's car and drove off to meet the rest of the group. Their business in Eustace, Florida was done, and they can now go to New Orleans to join a new family. (sighs) Sorry, no, you can't. (sighs) Blood was all over him and Scott. They had to go clean up somewhere before meeting up with Heather and the group. Rod had called and told the others what he had done, but didn't want Heather to know just yet, in case she might freak out. Yeah. They had taken the Wendorf's Blue Ford Explorer and headed to a nearby gas station to clean the blood off, and then they burned their bloody clothes or shirts in a field somewhere. They reunited with the group 
uh, when Heather spotted her parents' car pulling up, she actually ducked down in the Buick, scared that her parents had already found the letter that she left and that they were, like, coming for her. That's so sad. But it wasn't her parents. It was a shirtless Rod and Scott, and they motioned for the girls to follow them. They drove for a short time pulling over. Rod told the group that they would be taking the Explorer the rest of the way, but they needed to change the license plates. Scott put his Buick's plates on the Explorer. (laughs) So now it's connected to him. Okay. Heather kept asking about her parents and about the car, but no one would answer her. They were now on their way to New Orleans, but the group was getting annoyed with Heather's incessant nagging. Oh, God. Stop asking about your dead parents. Whatever. Heather was nervous. Her parents... Uh, would kill her <laughs> if they knew she and her friends stole their car. Mm. And Charity, finally just super fed up with Heather at this point, was just like, you don't need to worry, your parents are dead. <sighs> and what Rod quickly chimed in from the front with, I'm your parent now. I fucking hate him. So now it's a little after 10 p.m. On the same night, Heather's sister, Jennifer, had just gotten home. She was a little past curfew and hoping to sneak in without her parents catching her. She noticed the explorer was gone and thought it was weird, but figured one of her parents may have run out for something. The house was quiet, and she saw the TV light on, and it looked like her dad was asleep on the couch. Perfect. She called her boyfriend from her sister's room to tell him she was home. Her sister might be out with her mom somewhere, she thought. She then went down to the kitchen, and that's when she saw the blood. And then her mom. And then her father. She ran back to her sister's room and dialed 911. 911, what's your emergency? My emergency is in Eustis, Florida, 24135 Green Tree Lane. I need two ambulances. My mother and my father have just been killed. I walked in the door. I don't know what happened. They're dead. Both of them, ma'am? Excuse me? Both your mother and your father? They are not breathing at all? I don't know. I didn't check. I can't get that close. They're my parents. Is anybody with you, ma'am? I have no idea. I don't know who's in the house. I have no I. I... Hang on, there's somebody on the other line. Hello, ma'am? Hello? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right, ma'am. What's your first name? My name is Jennifer. My last name is Wendorf. What makes you think they may have been killed? There is blood everywhere. Please, as fast as you can. Okay, we're on the way. We have law enforcement on the way also. Are you there alone? I have no idea. There could be somebody in the house. I mean, nobody came there with you? Who? Nobody is there with you? My sister is gone, though. I don't know where my sister is. She's gone. What do you mean? She lives there with your parents? She should be here. She's only 15 years old, and she's gone. All right, ma'am. What I would like you to do is get out of the house and sit outside in your car, okay? Okay. When you tell me there is blood everywhere, you mean, like, on the floor, on the walls? Yes, and yes. The floor? My mom is... I I can't go in there. I'm just afraid to leave my room, uh, to leave my sister's room. Okay, that's when you came in the front door and went straight into your sister's room. Walked in the front door, and I didn't really pay attention, but I thought my dad was sleeping. Then I went and called my boyfriend to tell him I was home. Then I came back in and saw blood, and then I ran in the kitchen. My mom was in there, and then I ran to the couch, and my dad was there. There was blood everywhere. So your mom's in the kitchen and your father's in the living room. Okay, we're on the other line with law enforcement. We're going to make sure law enforcement is en route out there, okay? Okay. And my sister is gone. And the explorer is gone. End scene. That was our dramatic reading of the 911 call. Yes. (laughs) Poor Jenny, man. I know. So the cops get there, and with the help of Jenny, who is like... 
the superstar of this. Yeah. They figure out that they might be looking for Rod Farrell. It's like perfect. Jenny Jenny is in mode. She was just like, I have to figure this out. My sister is gone. My parents are dead. I will have time to cry later. Wow. Let me help you out. That's an impressive girl. Jenny isn't sure if her sister was kidnapped or even went willingly, but she knew that Rod had to be involved. She informs them that if Rod and his group did this, that they would probably now be headed to New Orleans. Wow. Mm-hmm. The Eustace police now contact the New Orleans and the Murray Police Departments. The Eustace police find Scott Anderson's Buick on the side of the road with missing plates. The VIN number told them that the car was registered to Scott Anderson, so this would be their first connection, and they can now assume that they were looking for a 1993 blue Ford Explorer with Kentucky license plates. But they still weren't positive where they were headed. They didn't try to hide it. He also, like, branded the body with his symbol on it. I know. It's wild. <sighs> I'm just, like, glad that her, even even though her and her sister didn't seem to get along, like, they still talked. Like, yeah. she clearly still cared about her sister. She kept asking her questions. She knew her whole life. Yeah. So this Ugh. made her help to, you know, get them faster. The vampires were able to stay on the run for a, <laughs> for a bit. I forgot that I called them the vampires. <laughs> They made it to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so they did make it all the way there. Okay. However, they were out of cash and had no gas. Charity was feeling desperate, and she said that she can call her grandmother for money. They were aware that the police were looking for them, but Charity assured them her grandmother was no snitch. <laughs> oh, God. It's unclear if Charity was being smart here or if she really trusted that her grandmother would keep her mouth shut. Either way, she called her up. And her grandmother agreed to wire her money. She told Charity to head to the local Howard Johnson Hotel to pick it up. Great. Except once they arrived, law enforcement was there waiting for them. So you think maybe she wanted to be caught? Yeah. Dana goes back and forth about this. It's like they don't—none of the kids really talk to each other now. Right. And she felt—there was—I think it was the Vampire Murders documentary. Mm -hmm. This is when um, they interview all of them while they're in jail. Mm. And— Poor Dana. She just, ugh, I feel so terrible for her. But she mentions that she she didn't think it was a good idea for Charity to call her grandmother because she was like, she's going to have to say something. Right. But she also felt like Charity was so insistent that she kind of felt like we need to, this isn't cool. Rod did kill somebody. Like all of the right. trance that they were in was like wearing off of them. Well, that's a real, you know, yeah. shock to the system. That's going to wake you up. Mm-hmm. Once Rod saw the guns, he immediately broke down and confessed all of it. Wow. You're not getting out of that. No. I mean, vampires can't take, can take bullets, so I don't know what he was afraid of. <laughs> the, he should, that would have been crazy if he just flown out of there. That. <laughs> that's right when now. that's useful. That. Yeah, Rod, if you could fly, why didn't you just fly? <sighs> I know. Fly away, Or Rod. if he was astral projecting the whole time and he was just like, jokes on you guys. Like a Star Wars ghost moment yeah. where he's just going <laughs> Okay. Okay. The whole group were brought into the Baton Rouge police station, and then they were taken back to Eustis, Florida, for questioning trials and sentencing. Rod confessed that he was the only one who killed the Wendorfs. Scott was just there in the house, and the others didn't know until he told them. This last part changes a little bit because Rod will also go on to later say that Heather and him had talked about this and was fully planned. Wow. Though Heather will continue to deny, to, to deny that she ever gave an okay or that they ever really had a— a talk that would have scared her you into think thinking this. That their conversations where he was like, I'm going to kill your parents. And she was like, yeah, okay, is what he's probably referring to. And she doesn't think they were serious. 
that, but also uh, Jenny will go into the trial and say that she did have a conversation with her sister one night and where Heather just said, do you ever think about killing mom and dad? <gasps> if you ever do, like I have a hitman. Oh, no. It was like a weird conversation that she mentions, which makes Jenny think like, was this a conversation? Wow. Maybe it was. And maybe for Heather, it was just a back and forth thing. Maybe she was just enjoying kind of the darker side of life, and she just really didn't think Rod was capable. I don't know. She's a teenager, and I will Mm -hmm. say this every single time. You do not understand the permanence of your actions when you're a teenager. She could have, like, fantasized about that a lot and even thought in her brain, like, I'll get rid of them, and then my life will be fine. But there's no place in her teenager brain that thought, my parents will then be gone forever, and my house will be covered in blood. You can't process that at that age. And I should mention, because I don't think that I did, but the accusations of her saying that her parents beat her, this was only a conversation she ever had with Rod. Of course. It wasn't something that she ever said in trial. It didn't happen. Her parents were wonderful. They just sometimes got on her for some of the things she was doing. Well, any parent would. Yeah, they were just a little nervous, but— And especially once her grades started going bad, they were even more nervous. Poor Wendorf. But she was living a normal life for a while, especially after Rod left, they thought. Yeah. On February 12th, 1998, Rod, who is now 17, so this is a little over two years later, or a little less than two years later, hoped that by pleading guilty, he would only be sentenced to life in prison and not death. But he was sentenced to death at first. That's shocking for a 17-year-old. Yeah. Mind you, 16 when he, like, did it. Wow. He was the youngest person in history on death row until 2000 when the Supreme Court overturned his sentence and changed it to life in prison. They thought it was, like, not okay. Unconstitutional and stuff. they even think it's unconstitutional to even give him life in prison at that age. Because of his age. Mm-hmm. But um, I think based on how he is in prison, they're just like, we'll just keep you there because well, he hasn't yeah. really gotten any better. I mean, if he's still going to be dangerous, you got to keep him in jail yeah. for sure. Scott said he wasn't part of the act, but he was in the house. And in Florida, they have a thing called felony murder, so he could also be sentenced to death. He chose to plead guilty, and in doing so, he was only sentenced to life, which is still long, no death. But in 2018, he received a resentencing hearing. His sentence was reduced to 40 years, so he'll be released in 2031 at the age of 51. Scott's I always feel a little bad about because— I, th- I feel like he was in this trance. I think he could be rehabilitated out of it. And so for them to give him life, I think, was really That's harsh. harsh. Yeah. I think he just needed therapy. Yeah. Plus, I bet he didn't think that Rod was actually going to kill them. No. Until play, the second he made contact, I bet he really didn't think he was going to go through with and it. And with this game, they do run through models of, like, killing each other. And— it can get very violent, and they, like, have fun doing it, but then they're not actually killing each other. So he might have just thought, like, we're doing another role-playing game. Yeah. I don't know. I think he just got way in over his head and didn't know how to, like, step away from Rod. Well, what would have happened if he told him to stop? Yeah. Rod probably would have turned the crowbar on him. Exactly. Charity Kesey was sentenced to ten and a half years, and I don't— Never heard about, like, a baby happening, so I don't think she was pregnant. Also, like, fuck that girl. I know. Fuck that girl. Seriously. Enjoy your prison time. And Dana Cooper was sentenced to 17 and a half years, and they both since have been released. Wow. Yeah. 
Heather's trial was tougher. Her attorney fought for her innocence, and she maintained that she thought she was just running away. She never intended for anyone to get hurt, and once she learned of their death, she was too scared to call the police because they were like, well, why, you know, like, once you found out, why didn't you call somebody? And she was like, I was with Rod and, like, this whole group, and they didn't seem to care. And they just killed someone, so they will kill her. Yeah, so she was just nervous to have a reaction. Of course. Um, If Rod could kill her, could kill her parents, then what could he do to her? Yeah. She was found not guilty, so she was the only one. Wow. Heather had to then live with her attorney and his family until she was of age. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. She had no family, I guess. Or I don't know. So her Where's and her, her sister, sister, they don't talk. Her sister didn't go with the attorney. She went with someone else. Mm-hmm. And nobody else in her family would take her. I guess not. Wow. Yeah. And they still don't talk. Well, I mean, I can't entirely blame yeah. her. That's It's I a mean, lot. When you boil it down, her sister is the reason her parents are dead. Yeah. Um, and Rod still thinks he's a vampire today. Oh my God. Oh my God. His prison (laughs) interviews make me want to climb through the bars and kick his teeth in. There (gasps) are so many. Um, I might post one of them once it's come out. It'll be really good. Um, you will get to hear how he talks. Which is awful. Yeah. Uh, one of the fun facts that I had was in, when he lived in Murray, because it's that college town and he was Mm -hmm. going to that campus a lot, he had access to the campus library. And he would get a lot of books on psychology and history books there. So he definitely was using some of those theories mm-hmm. with his clans. Yeah. yeah. He seems, Which, sounds like a you know, pretty manipulative he, dude. Yeah. He's not. He's young, but he's he wasn't an idiot. And I don't think these kids had any chance. I'm just glad that he did. Get, I mean, I'm so sad that it happened this way. I wish that he got caught without something bad happening. But... If he was able to just be free, if he didn't do an, a stupid act like this now, what mm-hmm. would what could he have turned into? Would he have? Would there have been like a huge vampire cult clan Maybe. in Kentucky? You know what I mean? There could have been. Could and have been like the Nixium cults, like all oh over. God, you'd be like never opening. know. <laughs> Truly, you never know. That's that's ugh, scary to think about. <sighs> well, that's all I have. Good job, Leslie. Thank you. Oh God, that guy. Fucking Ooh. hate that guy. You guys know that we don't normally just, like, unilaterally hate someone. No. Yeah. But, man, he mm-hmm. is very hard to sympathize with. hmm Especially if you've seen him speak. Yeah. Because he just is remorseless. hmm He calls the electric chair an iron throne of death <laughs> that many have wanted to <laughs> see what it was like to sit upon. And it would be pretty cool for him to experience that. Yeah. Go fuck yourself, man. I, I need you to go fuck yourself. And Jaden Murphy, who is not somebody that would kill anyone. No. He is equally as rough to listen to, He's though. very rough. He's, he's really full of himself for really bad, dumb reasons. Yeah. And I'm very <laughs> unclear as to now. I know for years afterwards, because he married one of his members. Well, why wouldn't you? Right. Um, that they planned to continue the vampiric lifestyle and to teach others about it, but— they sound more similar to the New Orleans people. They do. They really do. Um, yeah. Those guys really. aren't hurting anybody. They're just fucking Mm-mm. around in their houses. Because that's his thing. He was like, you don't have to feed. It's just one of the aspects. He's like, I just like the taste of blood. He's like, Mine, my blood tastes like metallic. Oh, my God. Like, when no, he was shit. saying, <laughs> depending on how a person is feeling at the moment, their blood tastes different. No, it doesn't. No. Go He's away. Like, it's like sometimes then, you can taste the adrenaline. Yeah. What? Um, it's fun. 
they were young too when he was saying that. He was probably like 17, 18 at the time. Yeah, they were Because that was right after the trial, so he's still young. He sounds a bit better. Yeah, so there's also the Deadly Cults. Mm -hmm. Season one, episode one is about this. Um, That was a little newer. And then, yeah, we'll post them all. The book I read was Aphrodite Jones. Uh, the Embrace, and if you mm. love listening to, like, teenagers having sex and drinking you. blood from each other, it's wonderful. I've had plenty of that today. <laughs> it was, yeah. So much high school drama. But, all right, toast? Yes. Um, oh. I want to toast Jenny. Yes. 100% Jenny. Yeah. And, uh... There were other people that I was like, those. oh, the Wendorfs. The Wendorfs, yeah. Who else were we like? They're a redeemable character. Who's the friend that was like, I just want a sword fight? Oh, that was Matt Goodman. <laughs> that guy. <Yeah. laughs> All right, cool. Cheers to them. <laughs> and we have two new patrons. Woo! I don't know if they are very good at chess, but One day, be. you're going to say that. It's going to be accurate. I know. So if you just say it about everybody. Yeah. You know what? I do know that they're excellent at sword fighting. <laughs> In graveyards. In graveyards, for but sure. But not vampiring. So cheers to Nicole Recker, or Reeker, I think Ooh. Recker. Yeah, Nicole. And Jean Bakken. Jean. Yes. All right, cheers. Cheers. I'm uh, not used to being the one that hits it. There. Ooh, that's a good one. Thank you. I know Jean, and I've never heard anyone say her last name. Oh, so, I don't know if Thank that's you, Jean. Right. I love you. You're great. Mm-hmm. And if we pronounced your last name incorrectly, please tell me. Yeah. Send me a little message. Thanks for the support. Nicole, thanks for the support. You guys will be getting some fun things in the mail soon. Yes. They are best fiends, so that's exciting. Best fiends. Love yes. it. All right. And if we thought we were vampires and jumped off a building without yelling bat first, we, we would, would be, be dead. dead. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. A vampire. Cursed to roam the earth for eternity as a child of the night and sentenced to servitude of the one who sired them.